1: And here is Betty Davis.
2: Hello. When Laurel and Terry Dexter were married, they were so in love, they'd have lived in a bandbox and thought it was heaven. For the next five years, they waited and saved for a permanent home, all their own. And then a house was advertised, a square little house, just like 30 other little houses in the development. But the day they took possession.
3: It isn't just like the others, Perry. It's entirely different.
4: (laughs) Why is it different?
3: Well, the picture window is a little bigger than the other picture windows. And I think the step leading to the front door is a trifle lower. And there's more sunlight. It will be easier to grow flowers around it with so much sunlight. We're going to love it more than any house was ever loved before.
4: Mm. You can say that again.
3: Living in two rooms for five years has made us very close together, Perry. Geographically and spiritually. Maybe when we spread out and have five rooms, we won't be the same with each other. We'll have to run from one room to the next to say things. We'll go distant and remote. Perry, don't let's do that.
4: (laughs) You're a nut, Laurel.
3: Sure. Sure. But I'm such a happy nut. Oh, five rooms we can go to town, Perry. Dogs and cats and babies. Goldfish and canaries. Oh,
4: I dislike goldfish intensely.
3: But you like cats and dogs. Yeah.
4: And babies? In their place, darling. Which would be in your arms, preferably. But I I wouldn't want babies to get between us to push me out of the front door, for instance, onto the lawn.
3: That will never happen. Mm. Nothing bad will, will ever happen, Perry, in this house.
4: You sure?
3: I guarantee it. And I have my fingers crossed. Kiss me, Perry. And then carry me over the threshold as if we're just newly married.
2: So Perry carried Laurel over the threshold into the new house. Even though they'd been married for five years, and they were divinely happy, even though they were starting off in a very small way. The furniture that had filled their two rooms didn't go very far. But Lara was undisturbed by what she called the great open spaces. She was only firm on one subject, the outside of the house.
3: We won't go till there, Perry. Gardens don't cost very much. Oh, no,
4: that's what you think. Gardens can be real expensive. The man with the hedge was telling me the other day what the privet cost.
3: Well, Mrs. Morrison, the woman who lives next door. She bought some shrubs from the nearby greenhouse, and they're beautiful. They're so healthy. Oh, there she is now, coming down the street. I'll ask her about them. Mrs. Morrison? Yes? Would you mind telling me the name of the man who sold you the shrubs? Oh, his name's Wallace Cuthbert. He's a landscape gardener. His greenhouses are less than half a mile from here out along the highway. Is he frightfully expensive? Oh, well, he's not too bad. And he lets his assistant an Italian named uh, Joe Santini do the planning for you so the things you buy get a good start. Incidentally, Mrs. Dexter, I'm selling his house. What a pity, just after you've made it so nice. Well, I've had the offer of a new job on the West Coast. It came up rather unexpectedly. I'll be flying out at the end of the week. When you go to the custard's Greenhouse, be sure to ask if Joe Santini can help you.
2: Laura went slowly back to Perry who was waiting for her on the porch. She slumped down on the step below the one on which he was seated and rested her head against his knee. Huh?
3: Did you get any information? Mhm. She bought her shrubs with a man named Wallace Cuthbert and another man named Joe Santini planted them. Hmm?
4: Well, no, what are you going to plant in our garden?
3: I want tall flowers. Blue ones. With a little path running between them. I read a poem once. It ended... as through a lane of flowers I passed by. It was a sonnet...
5: Are you cold?
3: No. I was thinking about the poem. I'll show it to you someday. I-, I cut it out. It's in my Bible. I shouldn't have brought it up. Why not? Because the I who passed through the lane of flowers was a ghost.
1: Just a moment. Betty Davis will be back again. But first... Nobody dies! That might make a good battle cry, but it's just not true. When a person with Social Security coverage dies, his family protection under Social Security includes monthly checks to his widow with minor children. Starting with the month of the insured's death, a check will go to the widow. A separate check will be made out for the children. The widow's payments will continue while the children are under 18 years of age. The widow's payments stop, however, if she remarries or goes to work. Remember, these Social Security benefits are paid in addition to other survivors' checks payable by the Veterans Administration. Have you investigated your Social Security benefits? And now, back to our story with Betty Davis.
2: Joe Santini, who worked in the greenhouse, took a fancy to Laro. He sold her the shrubs at a discount. And when she made her purchases, he went home with her to help with the planting. But as he caught his first glimpse of the property, he grinned broadly.
5: You you, you spoke about having a path. where is it?
3: Only in my mind so far. My husband's going to make a flagstone path. He's already bought the flagstones. It's going to run clear from the back door to...
5: To, uh, To where?
3: Well... Well, we thought of putting a little white fence all around the house. we're going to have a gate in back at our property line. Uh-huh. And the path is going to run down to the gate and then stop short.
5: There, there won't be anything on the other side of the gate?
3: That's where you're wrong. There'll be everything. Everything we've wanted and never been able to achieve. Everything we've had and lost. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. World without end. Happiness without end.
5: Yeah. A gate with nothing on the other side of it. <laughs> that, that's a joke. Yes,
3: isn't it? What a beautiful joke, Joe.
2: Laurel and Perry were a bit older than the other people who lived in the development houses. Most of their neighbors were very new brides and grooms utterly absorbed in one another and in themselves. So more and more, Perry and Laurel grew closer.
4: How's the garden coming? How are you and Joe getting along with the planting?
3: The evergreens speak for themselves. They make such a splash against the house. And Saturday will come out in late summer, red against the gray. It'll make an even bigger splash. We haven't planted the tall blue flowers because you haven't put in the path yet, you be. Oh, I'm so
4: dog-tired on Sundays I like to rest. I haven't your energy, Laurel.
3: Never mind. Joe will put in the path on his day off. He's going to put in the fence and the gate, too. You know, Joe's getting awfully fond of me. We're as thick as thieves. He doesn't understand what I'm talking about. But he follows blindly where I lead. When I told him about planting nasturtiums so I could use them for salad, he cringed. You uh, want to know something?
4: I think you're working too hard in that garden of yours. I think Joe's a slave driver. Why? Well, you've lost weight. I thought when we came to the country, you'd be big and fat and husky. You're still as pale as you were in the city. I thought you'd be brown as a berry.
3: I don't tan easily, and I never put on weight, darling, you know that. Uh,
4: You always look like a fashion plate, but I don't like you to be so thin. Look, why don't you go and see a doctor? Maybe he'd give you a tonic or some vitamins.
3: I'm spending so much money on flowers and shrubs and things that I haven't anything left over for MDs. Besides... I never felt better in my life.
4: You have a strange look in your eyes, Laura. Darling, what are you thinking about?
2: What am I thinking about, Laura asked herself. I'm thinking that I'm glad he doesn't know. She'd been to a doctor, you see. She was going back next week for his verdict. She thought... What would Perry do in this lovely little house which was built for happiness if I weren't around? Since we've been married, he's cut himself off from everyone except me. The next morning from out of the blue, she received a letter showing that the Almighty does work in mysterious ways. She and Perry were in the breakfast nook when the letter arrived. She opened it eagerly.
4: You look excited. old
3: beau? No, not an old beau, but an old friend. And a very dear friend. And Irene Powell. Mm. We were kids together. Irene was never a pretty child, but she was sweet. She always let me give the biggest weddings, and she always let me have the prettiest bride. Oh, You were the
4: prettiest bride.
3: Yes, wasn't I? In a blue dress and a blue hat with a little veil. That's why I like blue flowers best. Well, as I said, Irene wasn't pretty as a child. Even when she grew up, she wasn't pretty. But she was still the the sweetest thing in the world. She was always darning socks for boys whose mothers didn't have time, putting sticking plaster on people's cut fingers.
4: Ooh, she sounds a bit nauseating.
3: Well, I didn't mean to make her sound that way. Because she isn't.
4: Was she married?
3: Irene was engaged at one time. Her, Her sweetheart was killed years ago on Iwo Jima.
4: Oh, that's a shame. Well, the way she sounds, she should have a husband and a million children to take care of.
3: Yes, she should. She was born to be a wife and mother.
4: Speaking of being a mother, when are we going to start our family,
3: Law? Well, every day I put sugar on the windowsill. But there are so many brides and grooms in this community that the storks overworked. It's almost time for your bus, darling.
4: Oh, I resent that bus. I want to stay home with you. All day...
3: All week. Don't let me get to be an obsession. You know, Irene's just moved to the city. She's taken a job. She was in Chicago before. I think I'll invite her out for the weekend, darling. No, don't
4: do it. She'll spoil everything.
3: No, no, no. You'll like her. And she'll like you. She couldn't help it.
2: Joe Santini built the flagstone path that week on his day off. It went from the kitchen door to the gate the gate that opened into nowhere. Joe still shook his head over that gate. The day after Joe's day off, Lara went to the doctor and got the reports. And all the next day, she planted flowers along either side of the path. Joe assisted, stealing the time from his boss.
5: How soon will they be tall and blue, Joe? No, it won't be no time at all. That's fine.
3: I want them to grow fast.
5: Well... No. You're a funny girl. I'm not a funny girl, Joe. You're so quiet, and you say such funny things. I, I, I think I understand you. You know, when I told my girlfriend about that gate of yours, she laughed.
3: <laughs> when I told you about the gate, you laughed.
5: Oh, yeah, 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 I laughed. A... That was a different. You look often far away right now, Mrs. Dexter. You look as if you were someplace uh, beyond that gate.
3: Joe. Joe, be careful. You don't watch out. We'll get to be just like I am. In
1: just a moment, Betty Davis will be back. Do you know what is meant by gerrymandering a state? It means to arrange the political areas of a state so that during an election, one party will have an advantage over the other. The expression comes from the name of Elbridge Gerry, who was governor of Massachusetts in 1811. While he was governor, Gerry signed a bill which changed the districts in Massachusetts in favor of his party. A map of these districts was printed in a Boston paper, and someone pointed out that it looked like a salamander or lizard. So the editor of the paper suggested they change the word from salamander to gerrymander. This expression, which is still being used, added another page to your political history. And now, back to our story with Betty Davis.
2: Irene came out on Friday. She came on the bus ahead of Perry. She was settled in the guest room before he arrived. She was just as plain as she'd always been, and just as sweet. She made a huge success of the weekend. She helped with the work and didn't intrude. Harry liked her and she liked him. And Laurel, watching from the sidelines, felt strangely motherly. She who would never give birth to a child. She worked feverishly in the garden all week. Harry, coming home evenings, would sit on the back steps and smoke his pipe and watch her.
3: What did you and Irene talk about on the way into the city Monday morning? You. Didn't she say anything about herself?
2: Well, she told me a
4: little bit about her job. It sounds dull as dishwater.
3: She put it in, didn't she? Hmm? With us, I mean.
4: Oh, yeah. Sometimes I didn't even know she was here.
3: She is sweet.
4: Yeah. You described her perfectly. I could see her binding up people's wounds and darning socks, just as you said.
3: <sighs> I'm glad you weren't disappointed.
4: You sighed just then, and you straightened up as if your back hurt.
5: Come
4: here, sit beside me on the steps. There, that's fine. You're so awfully little, Laurel. And you're in the crook of my arm. Irene's a chunky girl.
3: Well, maybe I'll invite her out next weekend and let her garden with me. That'll make her less chunky. No,
4: no, not every weekend. But
3: you didn't even know she was here, darling. It means a lot to her. You mustn't be selfish. We have so much happiness. We should share it with others.
4: Well, uh, I suppose you're right. But sometimes a guy gets possessive. This is my castle, you know.
2: Joe Santini on one side of the path was weaving. He was on his knees this special day. Narrow on the other side of the path, was weeding. She was on her knees.
3: That's the nice thing about gardens, Joe. Mm. It's so easy to pray in a garden. You're in the right position.
5: Yeah, yeah. I, I burned a candle for you last Sunday in a church. Why? I don't know. I, I just wanted to. It isn't because you need anything or wish for anything.
3: You're so right.
5: You know, it's, it's a nice woman to come out the weekends, that Mrs. Powell. She's my best friend. And you know something? I, I think she's stuck on the mister. <laughs> well, he's easy to get stuck on. You know, my girl, if she slapped me down, if I used to look at another woman. <laughs> I never saw flowers grow like yours do, Mrs. Dexter. It seems like... Some sort of magic makes them grow.
3: Flowers are intuitive, Joe. And my blue flowers know that it's later than we think. Thanks, Joe, for the candle.
2: to nowhere, or did it lead to somewhere, really, was glimmering through the dusk. Harry stood on the kitchen steps, staring down the path toward that gate. His pipe was in his hand. Everything was cold. When he heard a quick step behind him, he didn't turn. But when he spoke, his voice was very level. That you, Irene?
3: Yes. I got your message. I couldn't believe it. She never told
4: me. She never even told me. The only one who guessed was Joe Santini. She wrote a letter. She explained everything. There was a little clipping in the letter. A poem. She told me about the poem once. Just when she was starting the garden... She said she kept it in her Bible. She said she'd show it to me sometime. It was called Death in the Springtime.
3: There's nothing to say, Perry. said that we both loved her very much.
4: Everybody loved her. But we loved her most of all. Here's a poem if you'd like to read it.
3: I'll take it inside to read. I leave you alone. I knew you want to be alone for now. Yes. Yes, I want to be alone for now.
4: But you're sweet, Irene. The way she always said. Mm-hmm.
3: aloud, but very quietly. I hope that you, my darling, are forgetting little hopes, little dreams we knew, and I who loved you so, am not regretting because the life I lived on earth is through, and yet, some evening, when the dusk is falling across a garden, sweet with springtime stars, please hear my voice. One day calling, I feel my fingers on your own once more. I do not ask for much no tears, no sorrow, no vain regret, for we were very gay. I, who own nothing of your bright tomorrow, who am a phantom of the yesterday, ask only that you pause, not knowing why, when through a lane of flowers I pass by.
2: It's good to think that we don't lose the ones that we love entirely. And sometimes along the lane of flowers they pass by. We see them in beauty. The beauty, perhaps, of a sunset. We hear them in music. We feel them in the touch of a friendly hand. You remember Mrs. Morrison, the Dexter's next-door neighbor, said that she was selling her house because she was going to the West Coast? Pamela Morrison was a reserved woman who looked like an executive and was. But there'd been a time when she had to choose between business success and a better kind of success.
1: And now, here again, is Betty Davis.
2: Pamela Morrison, like most of us, had fallen in love, blindly and irretrievably. But she'd been luckier than some. For the man she loved had felt the same way about her. In that case, why did Pam live alone in a little house? She'd caught her guy. How did she manage to lose him? Until then, this is Betty Davis saying goodbye from the Whispering Streets.
1: Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sangster. Featured in the cast were Jane Webb, Dick Turner, Jay Novello, and Lillian Baev. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley.